Welcome today. My name is Pastor Jordan. I'm the youth pastor here, uh, and I'll be bringing the message today. Pastor Megan and Miguel, they are actually in Texas this weekend celebrating Megan's brother's wedding. And so he's getting married, and so they're, they're down there. They'll be back with us next week for our Christmas services. Um, and so I am excited to bring week two of our Family Tree series to you. Uh, last week, we introduced the idea of talking about Jesus's family tree. And so what we've been talking about, uh, it's in the Gospel of Matthew. The author starts out with a genealogy, and his purpose for that is to try to prove uh, Jesus's kingship. So he's trying to prove, hey, uh, not only is Jesus fully God and fully man, but also uh, I want to prove that he comes from the line of Abraham and David and all these kings, and he is the rightful person to come and be the Messiah. So he's trying to prove that to his Jewish audience there. And ancestry was important back in those times um, as for things like property rights. So property passed based on ancestry, uh, vocational rights. So the job that you had uh, uh, sometimes is tied to ancestry. And of course, uh, people that are kings and the lineage of kings passes down through ancestry. And so last week we talked about how God's family tree includes a lot of different types of people. And and Pastor Miguel talked about the forgotten ones, the ones that we don't really know too much about. And and we focused on that that Jesus' family tree reminds us that God remembers the forgotten and God can use the forgotten people of this world and of this list here. And so we're excited this week. We're, we're going to look at this tree again, and we're going to focus on, uh, it sounds gloomy, but we're focused on the failures today, the, the people that, that maybe had some moments in their lives that they would like to take back. Maybe they have a lineage of failure that they passed on. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at this tree, and by looking at it, we're going to look at some of the failures and how God can redeem that in our lives. And so before we dive in, I want to ask this question to you. Has anyone in here ever, just be honest with me, have you ever failed before? Anybody ever failed before? Okay. Okay, we got a few of us in here admitting, okay, good. Um, And since we're talking about failures this morning, I figure I would start out by first admitting, and I know that to some of you this is coming as a shock, but uh, I have failed before, okay? Uh, I just want to let you know that. I'll be honest. I have failed before. Um, And I figured if we're going to talk about it, I'm going to share a few of my failures with you this morning. Um, And I figured if I'm going to share my failures with you, I might as well just share, you know, like three categories of failures that I think we all can relate to. So I'm going to share with you how I failed relationally, financially and professionally this morning. Are you guys with me? Okay. Uh, hopefully at the end, you're, you know, you still respect me. Okay. Uh, so anyways, uh, <laughs> it's not that bad. So the first, I'll talk about how I failed relationally before in my life. So I, I, uh, I have a, uh, uh, when I first started dating, uh, my first ever girlfriend, we, we started dating and, uh, and I was like 14 or 15 years old and I met her at church. And so, you know, I know she was a good girl. And so I'm, where I'm like, hey, you want to start talking to each other? She's like, yeah, sure. And so um, what we did is back then we didn't have phones. We couldn't text each other. And so we decided to <laughs> that the way that we communicate is we would email each other back and forth. And so uh, and we didn't have like email on our phone. So basically when I got home, I would I would write an email like and it went something like this, like, hey, uh, Hey, I say her name. I say, hey, uh, what is your favorite color? And and she would email me back. She'd say, green. Uh, what is your favorite color? And I would say, blue. And so and then and then, and then I'd ask her another question. But unfortunately, here's the problem with that method. And if you're if you're uh, thinking about going uh, having a foray into the dating world, I would say don't do this. Okay, don't just open with questions because what happens is is eventually you run out of questions. And that's what happened. I ran out of questions, and so I just stopped emailing her. Um, <laughs> and 
the awkward part is I saw her twice a week at church, but I did my best to avoid her as, as much as I could. And so uh, I would sit on the opposite side of the room. You know, I sometimes I would give her like, hey, hey, how you doing? You know, but I, I would just ignore her. And then after weeks of ignoring her, I figured, well, I better better man up, face this problem. And so I said, hey, uh, uh, after church, can we can we talk? And she said, OK, well, we can talk. I said uh, so we sat down. And I said, hey, uh, I don't think this is working out. She said, me either. And, and then that, that was it. And so my first, my first foray into the dating world, it was, it was, I would categorize that as, as a failure. It did not, did not work well. Now I'll talk about how I failed financially before. Um, so how many know that teenagers are, I'm sorry, teenagers, but how many know that teenagers are stupid sometimes? Okay. Okay. So some people, even the teenagers raising their hands there. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, when I was a teenager, again, I don't know why I decided to act out at church all the time, but I didn't. So, uh, at church one day up at the, I went to the Casey campus when I was a kid. Up up there, they have a separate youth building. And so we would meet there for like Sunday school on Sunday morning, and then we would all drive down or walk down to the main uh, building. And so we're, I'm walking down, and there's a line of cars driving, and I notice my friend is, is in his truck, and he's driving down. And I thought, you know what? It's going to be really funny if, if what I do, I'm just going to decide to jump out in front of his truck at the last second and just go, woo, you know, like, like yell at him. So uh, – Unfortunately, he did not think that was funny, and uh, he slammed on his brakes, and that was all good, but the car behind him, unfortunately, did not slam on their brakes, and so his hitch ended up in that car's radiator, and so um, at that point... I had failed immensely financially, and I did not have a job, so my, I think I still owe my parents for that one. Uh, but So that's how I failed financially. And one way that I failed professionally, I've told this story before, some, uh, but I think most of you haven't heard it, is uh, so my first job as a youth pastor, um, the, one, of the, my, one of my jobs, one of my roles was to get ready for baptisms on Sunday mornings. And so um, we had this big uh, kind of multi-purpose building, and instead of a nice baptismal like we have here, Oh, they used big inflatable outdoor pools. And so how many know that, that the, sometimes those pools spring leaks? And so uh, we had to find a pool. My job was to find a pool that was an outdoor pool but put it inside and find one that didn't have a leak in it. And so that was a pretty hard thing to do. And so I, I went through like four pools this one time. Uh, it was Saturday night at like 1 a.m. and I finally found a pool that's not leaking. And so here's how I would fill up the pools. I have to get the right temperature so I'm adjusting the hot and the cold. But I'm tired at this point. I'm, I'm doing this, and how I would measure the water is I would mark on a Sharpie where the water level is, and then I would, an hour later, I'd go back and I'd mark again, and that's how kind of I would gauge how fast the water is going in there. And so I thought I had a pretty good gauge, uh, and again, it's about 1 a.m. in the morning. I decided, you know what? This is good. I think, I think it's going to be fine. I'm going to go home, and then when I get there around 7.30 in the morning, that'll be just fine. And so how many of you know, 6 o'clock, I get a call from the uh, worship leader, and they say, hey, your pool is overflowing, and there's water everywhere. Everywhere. And so, so I rush as fast as I can, run a few red lights, I run as fast as I can there, and literally the, the water, they turn it off, but the water is still coming out of the pool, it's all over the sanctuary, and we have a service in about two hours. And so, thankfully, I gathered as much people as I could, we squeegeed the water out, uh, towel dried everything, got the, got the water level in the pool okay, and we were actually good for 10 a.m. service. So I'm, I'm really proud of that, but that is, uh, they did not let me live that one down, I'll tell you right now. So that was, that's, that's another failure. I've had in my life. So uh, there you have it. I, I personally, I, when I was thinking about this topic, failures, I was surprised that it wasn't actually hard to think of times I've failed in my life. It's actually hard to pick the ones I wanted to share with you. Uh, there's, there's lots of failures in life. Uh, 
the, and so I know that none of us, none of those failures were like super catastrophic, but hopefully you laughed. Hopefully you know that as I stand here talking to you today, that I'm not perfect. I've failed before. My stories are funny, but I promise you that I have also failed in life in deeper and more profound ways than just those, because how many of you know that we are all imperfect people, right? Nobody's perfect here. We've all failed in ways that are silly. We've all failed in ways that are hard, and that's why um, I asked this morning, who has failed? Because failing is a part of being human. We all have failed at one point in our lives, and I'm willing to bet that you and I have not only failed on a personal level from time to time, but we've also have some failings in our ancestry as well. So we're talking about the family tree. I think many of us, how many of you say that there's some, time, there's some things in your family tree that you would categorize as, as not too great, maybe failures, maybe parts that you don't want to look at? I think, I think we all have that in our lives. Last week, Miguel mentioned that genetic testing is like a big deal now, right? So anybody ever seen the Ancestry.com stuff, the 23andMe, all that sort of things? Uh, this, this statistics, I'm trying to say, statistics say that uh, by the end of the year, 10% of Americans will have taken one of those tests, and for about $50 to $100, you can learn your complete genetic history. It'll tell you some of your ancestry. It'll tell you uh, even if you're at risk for, for like certain cancers or bone disease, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so we, we have this desire as humans to know where we've come from, and it's only when you get to the fine print of looking into your genetics that you might not be prepared for the bombshell that happens. In fact, 23andMe says this, you may discover things about yourself that trouble you, and you may not have the ability to control or change. So <laughs> here's what happens, is that sometimes people are taking these tests, and it's, and it's created this unexpected syndrome, is that people are actually experiencing stress, post-traumatic stress after finding out things about their family that they weren't ready to find out about. Last year, a Facebook page was launched to help people that discovered things that they weren't ready for. It's launched by Catherine St. Clair, has over 2,700 members, and their mission is this. It's stated as this. Founded in 2018, our mission is to raise awareness by providing community and education for those affected by NPE discovery. Uh, and MPE, MPE stands for not parent expected. And so the founder, her story is this, is that she took one of these tests and she found out that her biological father was actually not the same person that raised her. And her parents hadn't told her this or anything like that. And so she discovered this by taking a test. And so apparently uh, this, is, this is something that's rather common. As you look back in your ancestry and you find out, oh my goodness, this is, not, this is not actually what I thought I would find. And many have found that sharing what they've learned is often uh, painful, but it's, it can be good and cathartic as well. And there are some secrets and surprises that a lot of families don't like to talk about. Uh, many of our ancestries, if not mo most of our ancestries, have people and moments that we would categorize as failures that we would rather not talk about. And if we're pruning our family tree, we would like to prune off a couple twigs. How many know if you're pruning your family trees, there's a couple twigs you would like to cut off every once in a while, right? And so, uh, ma but Matthew, our author here, he makes no effort to prune his tree. The people here, they're real, pe real people. They're people that have gone through things. He does not hide the good, the bad, or the ugly. In fact, a lot of his contemporaries that were putting together genealogies, they would kind of cut out the ugly parts or, or, or make him look and sound better. In fact, I recently heard a story about a prominent family who was having a biographer write out their, um, write out their biography. And so they said, hey, uh, when you're doing this, just... Be be extra be extra careful with Uncle George and Uncle George. Uncle George was uh, a person who, in a drunken stupor, had committed murder, and he was subsequently sent to the electric chair. And so here's how the biographer decided to handle it. He said, "I got it. I'll make it sound good." And so here's what he said. He said, "Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution, 
he was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. Uh, so, uh, there are names in Jesus' family tree that are shocking, okay? There, there are names that, that uh, there are people that have failed at points in their lives. There are others who would just categorize their lives of failures. There, there are some in this line that use their power uh, so poorly that they not only affected themselves, the people around them, but they actually affected an entire nation of people because they decided to not use their authority and power wisely. And we won't go into great, great detail on every one of these this morning, but what I, what I do want to do is I want to look at some of this list and I want to talk about the failures, and then we're going to get to the part where we talk about God's redemption. So you still with me this morning? Cool. Okay, so let's let's keep going. We're going to start at the bottom here. Let's talk about Abraham. So you guys know Abraham as uh, he was the man that God set apart. He was the first of the line of Israel. Abraham, here's the thing though, he failed over and over again in this one area, and if you read the story, you know what it is, is that the guy just could not stop telling people that his wife was his sister. He was always so worried about that, that when he went to a kingdom that the king would kill him and, uh, and that his wife was so pretty he would kill him and take, them, take her for himself. And uh, I'm always worried about that with my wife, but I don't, I don't t- I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't tell people she's my sister. Okay, so anyways, that was a dumb joke. Okay, um, so moving on. On two separate occasions, uh, Abraham was worried that the king would do this, and so he said, hey, this isn't my wife, this is my sister. And it's kind of a half-truth because it was his half half-sister, but he kept telling him this, and, and the root of it is this, is that Abraham did not trust God to provide for him in these situations. When he walked into these, these, these places with these kings, he was so worried, and he forgot, listen, he had, literally on one of these, he comes off of God creating a covenant with him, saying, I'm going to bring my line through you, and yet he's still worried, and he goes and he tells the king that his wife is his sister. So Abraham, he has failed before. Let's go next on our line here, Jacob. Uh, Jacob, is, his name literally means deceiver. He extorted his brother for his birthright. He deceived his father to get his brother's blessing. He deceived his uncle in business. He constantly fails at being uh, honest to people around him. He has failed, and yet he ends up in our genealogy. We got Judah and Tamar next. So Judah and Tamar. Uh, this is a crazy story. I'm, I'm gonna, I'll tell it to you quick. So Judah, he had three sons. His first son was married to Tamar. But that son dies. And the Bible actually says he dies because he is so evil, God strikes him down. And so he dies. And then the next son uh, marries Tamar. But he, he is like, he's horrible. He's like abusive to her. And then, so he dies as well. And at this point, Judah is like, I got one son left, and you're not marrying this son, okay? And so um, back then it was customary for if, uh, if, a brother's wife, if a brother died and he left a widow, the other brothers would marry. The, the next brother would marry that woman so that she was taken care of and had kids in her own old age, and so that's why the brothers kept marrying her, and then the third son, Judah's like, you know what, he's not ready yet, he's, he's too young, and so go live with your parents, and basically, uh, what, what historians say, what, what they say is that, hey, he was just trying to get rid of her, he was just trying to get her away, because he didn't actually have any intentions of her marrying his youngest son, and so after he sends Tamar back with her father, a couple years pass, and Tamar finds out that Judah is going to be coming by soon. And so what she does is she decides, disguises herself as a prostitute on the side of the road. Judah stops. He doesn't know that it's Tamar. Uh, he, they have relations, okay? And then uh, he says, you know what? I promise to pay you by, uh, by having a goat sent to you. And so he said, here's how you know that I'm going to pay you with the goat. I'm going to leave my staff, my signet ring, and my cord with you. And that's how, that's basically identifications. It's basically like, here, here's my driver's license, and give it back to me when I, when I send you the goat. And so Judah sends a friend with the goat, but the prostitute, uh, as we know, is Tamar. She's nowhere to be found. 
And so uh, what happens is a few months later, the family finds out that Tamar is pregnant. And so Judah is so infuriated. He says, how could you do this? How could you disgrace the family? And literally, he's bringing her to, to burn her alive. And she says, hey, you want to know who, who I got pregnant by? The person whose staff this is, whose cord this is, whose ring this is. And Judah discovers that he is the person that has done that. And so uh, that is, and so this, this is like, this is a scandal right in the middle of Jesus's line here. Uh, this is something you would find in like Jerry Springer. It's right here. It's right here. On, it's right here, here in, in the Bible. And, and so later, and here's the crazy part, later Tamar gives birth to twins. And guess who that is? Zerah and Perez. Those are the people that are in the line. And I think the line actually goes through Zerah. And so Matthew 1, 3 says this, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So it's not pulling any punches here. It's, it's letting you in on this ugly piece of history that this is part of the line. This is part of the story. And so, and, and let's move on. Let's move on. Next is David. Now, we know David was a man after God's own heart, right? But he famously had an affair with this woman named Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover it up by killing her husband, having her husband killed Uriah. And so, in fact, on our tree up here, we actually, we actually did a good job of this. We said, you know what? We just say Bathsheba. But actually, here's what the scripture says instead. It doesn't say Bathsheba. It says this, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's the guy he killed. Okay, so this does not pull any punches. We, it, this, this family tree is not trying to hide any ugly pieces. It is letting you know this is the place where Jesus is coming from. Uh, Solomon, next up, we know that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, and yet he continually failed to put God first and allowed lust to rule his heart. First Kings 11, 1 through 4 says this, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to other gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. So that's a lot of failure there as well. And then we got Rehoboam. That is Solomon's son. He contributed to the kingdom of Israel. So uh, when David came and, and David and Saul, they created this, this united kingdom of Israel. And then Solomon's sons tear this apart. They create a civil war, and now you have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and he is responsible for helping rip this kingdom apart. And while he ruled Judah, the southern kingdom, the Bible says that he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He caused the whole nation to do evil. And then Rehoboam's son Abijah, 1 Kings 15, 3, it says, and he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. If we go on a little more to Ahaz, it says, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And in fact, if you read a little further, it actually says that he burned his own son as an offering to foreign gods. And then we get to Manasseh, and same deal. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he burned his son as an offering to foreign gods. Amen. Uh, 1 Kings 21, 20, and he did what was evil in the, in the sight of the Lord. And the rest, as we get further, we're kind of getting past the kings, and the rest kind of falls out of our biblical history, but it's recorded there. And now uh, we talked in the beginning about failure. And that is a long list that we just covered of people who have one way or another have failed. For some it was a moment. For some it was a season. For some it was a legacy. But thankfully, that's not where the story ends. And so today I want to give you three quick truths from this that I think are going to help us see that God can take even this, this twisted, broken line and lineage, and redeem it. And so the first thing is this, is that I want you to recognize, and we've talked about it from the beginning, we all have failed. We all have failed. But I want to say this, 
Thank God that he still uses the failures, right? Thank God that humanity was not tasked. Can you imagine if humanity was tasked, tasked to create a perfect ancestry for Christ to walk into? We would never be able to do it. We fail constantly, and yet Jesus still came to redeem the world. We all have failed. We all fall short. But here's the good news. We have a Savior who doesn't, who never failed, who went to the cross on our behalf, and he was perfect for us right? So we have a failure who does not fail. Even though we continually fail, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not fail us, even though we fail him. And thank God that we have all failed, but we have a Savior who hasn't, who came to earth so that even when you and I fail, even when our history isn't perfect, we can be saved by simply running to him, right? We all have failed, but we have a Savior who hasn't. The second thing I want to I let you know is this, is that God can redeem your story. God can redeem your story. So let's just talk about the line that we just talked about. So uh, we, we, we mentioned a lot of people that have failed in a lot of different ways, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some of them that God redeemed. And so we talk about Abraham. We talked about how he couldn't stop failing by telling people that his wife was his sister. And yet, uh, and, and we talked about how Abraham, it was all a failure of trust, right? He didn't trust for God to actually protect him and provide for him. And yet, in the New Testament, Abraham is an example to us of faith of trusting God. God makes a covenant with Abraham to make a nation out of him. He fulfills his promise of making him as numerous as the stars in the sky. He took this person who struggled with trust and yet brought him to a place where he was so faithful that he's actually in what we call the hall of faith in the New Testament, that he is faithful. Uh, Jacob, even though his name was Deceiver and he lived up to that name, uh, God wrestled with Jacob and changed his name to Israel. And though and through him, the nation of Israel began to grow and eventually became the kingdom of Israel and all, that, all those things. Judah and Tamar, in spite of the history, Judah is the brother, one of 12 brothers, that the line of Israel actually goes through. And it's through Judah, Judah that Jesus' tree runs, and his tribe actually becomes that southern kingdom, which is the most righteous and the most successful of the two kingdoms. God redeems that story. David, in spite of failing horribly, is still called a man after God's own heart. Manasseh, he's one of those kings that did what was evil and sacrificed his own son. In spite of doing evil, in spite of doing that, Manasseh, at one point, he repents. And the Bible says that God is moved by his prayer, and Manasseh knows that the Lord is God. God works healing and redemption through this line. Um, I don't know, for me personally, I know people that God has worked healing and redemption through. God can redeem people that you know. Uh, I have a friend of a friend who's a, who's a pastor in Minnesota, and he has a cool testimony. Uh, before he was a pastor, before he was a Christian, he had this girlfriend, and she broke up, she broke up with him, and shortly after, he became a Christian, and then became well on, his well, well on his way to become a minister. And so fast forward to today, he's a church of about 800 up in Minnesota. They've planted 16 other churches through that church, and he's got this great ministry. And for over 40 years have passed since he becomes a Christian. About three years ago, a young man uh, comes to him after doing some family research, like we talked about in the beginning, and he says, hey, um, I think you're my father. And so what happened was, he didn't believe it, what happened was is that the story came out, this girl that he had dated right before he became a Christian, she became pregnant, broke things off with him, never told him that, that she was pregnant, and then so years later, he finds out that he has like a 35, 40-year-old son, uh, and this all comes out of the blue. And so the pastor was so shook up, uh, he, he was ready to tell his congregation and just resigned. He was scared that it was just going to put a black mark on them, and so his family and his parents encouraged them, hey, just tell the story to the church. 
Tell the story of the church. And so uh, that morning at church, he got up. He said, hey, congregation, we, we talk about how, um, how our, nobody's history is perfect. And we talk about how we need God's grace. And I'm going to need your grace right now because uh, my son that I didn't know about, I have a son I didn't know about, and he's going to be here next week. And so when he told the story, apparently the, the church broke into uh, spontaneous applause. And God took this history that could have been broken and redeemed it. Uh, why? Because... God is in the business of redeeming things that are broken, of taking things that are ugly and twisted and turning them into something beautiful. And I, I forgot to get the picture up there, but it's actually a picture uh, that I had of, of them like together, and it's really cool to see. And so uh, I, I, I'm, for me personally, God has redeemed the story of my family. Uh, my history, uh, I have a messy history on both sides, my nana, my mom's mom. Uh, she came from an abusive home. And so, actually, she, she ran away when she was 16 with my papa, my, my grandpa, and so on that side. And so, they, uh, they're my mom's parents. And then my grandpa, on my dad's side, he actually came from an abusive home as well and left, left home early, ended up finding my, he's from Louisiana, he's Cajun, ended up finding my, my grandma up in, up in Illinois. And so, both of them, uh, both sets of parents kind of moved on. My mom was raised in a Christian household. My dad wasn't. My dad came to faith when he was 16. Uh, he led both of his parents to faith, and then uh, somehow they met at college. This girl from Alabama met this boy from Illinois, and now, you know, the rest is history. They married. I'm, I'm standing here before you, second generation minister. Uh, on my mom's side, they have my uncle and my cousin are both ministers, and so God took this story of abuse, uh, of of something that could could have been horrible and kind of passed line 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 by line down, and we've seen that happen all too often. And yet, he's redeemed this history, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, a few years ago, my my wife Amanda and I we sat in a restaurant with my grandpa. My grandpa. Uh, most people say this about their grandpa. He's like the toughest guy I know. Like I've never, never seen him cry before. His hands are like two of my hands, like crazy, you know. And and he's sitting there telling me the story of of, of his childhood and how he's thankful for what God has done and, and crying. Actually, I've never seen him cry before, but crying about it because why? Because God took something that was broken, something that still hurt for him even today, and yet redeemed that and made something new out of it. And now we're now we're seeing generations impact the world for Christ. Why? Because God can redeem stories that are broken, that are ugly, that aren't beautiful, and yet he can take it and make it new. Um, I, I love, when we look at this whole majority of this, the really interesting thing to me is that God took this messy, misshapen, honest ancestry, stepped into history, and not only redeemed this family line, but redeemed the entire world. Said, hey, listen, don't worry, it doesn't have to look pretty. It's got its, its Mars. It's got its ugly parts. We're not going to hide any of it. Why? Because through this comes the Savior of the world, comes the hope of the world. And in this season comes the joy of the world, right? So through these messy things, through these tough seasons, God can redeem. God can redeem your family's history. Uh, you, you might say, you know, you don't know my family's history. You don't know my crazy. Like, I've got an Uncle George. Like, you talked at the beginning, and he's worse than the Uncle George you talked about. If you knew, you're right. I don't know your family history, okay? But I know what God has done for mine. I know what I've seen God do in others, and nothing surprises God. If he can step into this, I mean, I, you, if you might have a bad family history, this might be worse, okay? Uh, uh, if he can step into this and redeem this, he can do that for your story as well. And here's the great thing. God can redeem your personal story. So a lot of times we're like, God, why won't you redeem my family history? Sometimes that starts with you. God can redeem your story as well. Number three is this. The last thing I want to leave you with is this. Don't fail at this one thing. Don't fail at this one thing. And I'll explain that. One last thought I want to leave you with today. We know that we all have failed. We know that God can redeem us. 
And maybe today you feel like a failure. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you feel like you fail at a lot of little things in life. You ever met somebody, I know people that, that feel like, you know, I don't know if I've ever failed at something big, but I just continually fail with the little things. Maybe you're bad at being on time or communicating well or eating healthier or whatever it is. Or maybe you feel like you've failed at a lot of big things in life. I know I'm not naive. I know that there's some of us in here that maybe you feel like you failed as a parent, failed as a son, failed as a daughter, failed as a sister, failed as a brother. Maybe you feel like you failed in your faith. If there's somebody here today that feels like, man, I, I just, I, I'm not sure, I'm here today, but I'm not sure I can get it back. Whatever you feel like you failed at today or are failing at, I want to let you know that that's okay. We're all failures. None of, her, none of us are perfect, and you can hold on to the hope that God has the ability to take your failure and to turn it into something beautiful. Redeem it. You don't have to wait uh, for the other side of heaven. He can redeem this for you. Now, there may be situations and relationships that are going to take some repairing, but God can redeem your story. But I want to challenge you with this one thing before I leave is this, is that you can fail at a lot of things in life. You can fail at professionally. You can fail relationally. You can fail at the little things. Uh, you can, and those things hurt, and I want to see you succeed in all of them, but my challenge for you is this. Don't fail at this one thing. Don't fail at being close to Christ. Don't fail at being close to Christ. Don't fail at this. Do everything you can to put him first. Do everything you can to say, you know what, God? I am going to put you in the proper place. And here's what will happen if you do that. Is everything going to be perfect right away? No. Are all your problems going to be fixed? No. But if you have God, number one, what happens in our lives is when we do that, that begins to start to place everything else in the right place as well. And he can begin to, if you're close to him, he can begin to redeem your heart to restore you and as he does that, he's going to start to move around in the other people. And you're going to begin to pray and get a heart for that. And maybe, maybe those people are never going to change, but he's going to change your heart towards them. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect, but I want to challenge you today. Don't fail at being close to Christ. If you can be close to him, everything else, your family history, your failures, your struggles, all of it will be redeemed in its own time. Be close to Christ. Don't fail at that. Be close to him and everything else will fall into place. And like I said, it won't be perfect right away, but he will. He will redeem your story. And so uh, with that, I'm going to pray this morning, and then we'll get us going. Hopefully the roads aren't too bad for us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this family tree. Thank you for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thank you for the forgotten. Thank you for the failures. Thank you for everything that we can learn from this. God, I pray for each of us this morning. For those that feel like they failed, God, I pray that you would let them know that you can redeem their story. God, for those that have a messy family tree and they're just worried that, that that's going to pass down to them or it's never going to be fixed, God, I pray that you would help them to have hope for their future. God, I pray, and for those, each of us in this room, God, I pray that we would just get this in our hearts and our spirits, that whatever, we, we can fail at a lot of things in life, God, but that we're going to put you first, that we're not going to fail at that, and we know that if we do that, then everything else is going to fall into place. And God, we thank you that even when it's not perfect, even when it still hurts, even when we're still working through it, that, Lord, you're with us every step of the way and that you're going to help us every step of the way. And you're not only going to, uh, we're not only going to see you move around us, but that you're going to change our hearts as we go closer to you. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.